Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Sweet. Uh, you feel good? All ready to go? Hell yeah. Let's go, baby. Can we see more Quinn? Can you get I know. Ready? I don't like that little that little thing. What's happening? You can see plenty I of want Quinn. immersion. Oh. I want immersion. <laughs> wow. Make it full screen. And... Yeah, at least that right there. That looks better. All right. Uh, hopefully my um, cold open will come through nicely. As I went down to the DVD shelf Looking for a film to please myself And there I see a DVD with George Clooney's face (laughs) Oh brother, where art thou? Let's come down, come on down Oh brother, let's come down, down from the DVD shelf Popped it into the DVD player Ready for a taste of southern flavored odyssey A comedy from Joel and Ethan Cohen Cohen Brothers take us down, take us down, come on down As the film played in front of my eyes Roger Deakins' camera hypnotized me The soundtrack, it brought me back T-Bone, show me the way Oh, Potters, let's talk now About, oh, brother, where art thou? Let's talk now here on Cinema Puzzest. Amen. Amen. Wow. You may now be seated. <laughs>
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. I'm Justin Newsham. And each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be loved up and turned into a horny toad. (laughs) Any of y'all ever... uh, Licked a toad to get high? No. No. Never. Have you heard of this? I have. There's a whole Family Guy. There's a Family Guy episode about it. In Little Rock at the Museum of Discovery, they had a toad there that supposedly <laughs> had toxins on its little skin that if you licked it would make you hallucinate. We, and- we, we can't have Quinn talking without introducing him first. Yeah, good point. People can no, figure these things it, out. They're no, going to be like, no, who the hell is that There's not one voice? podcast <laughs> on earth that doesn't introduce the special guests. Technically, there the are, special so guest is supposed to keep their little mouth yeah. shut. Sorry, sorry. He has to about uh, Today, we are joined by a very special guest. He's a longtime friend of all of ours. He's an Arkansas native like My longtime friend, the longest. He's an amazing actor, an amazing musician, who you might recognize from this very film we're speaking about today. Classic lines such as, get in, boys. I'm going to R-U-N-N-O-F-T. We're talking Quinn Gassaway. Hi. Quinn, it's so great to have you here today. It's so exciting to be here today. I'm first and foremost a fan of the pod. Oh, thank, wow. you, uh, thank you. Second, second, and five most. It's so nice to uh, to be talking with all of you and seeing all of your beautiful faces. Oh, Quinn is also a great movie lover, like us. Uh, Quinn mm. and I actually, when we first met, we bonded over our love of fucked up movies. Mm-hmm. You French remember that? Extremist, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Audition, Hardly. Irreversible. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. you introduced me to Eden Lake. Yes. And Feed. Yes. I also uh, work with a woman who has a teenage son who I asked to go watch Evil Dead mm-hmm. so I could get so I could get a Zoomer, some Zoomer feedback. Oh, yeah, nice. that's right. Corey, yeah, how, so how, how was your progress on that? You were supposed to get some Zoomers to um, watch Evil Dead. Have you well, done I also, anything? they're not called Zoomers. They're Generation, called Gen Zers. I do think they're called could, Zoomers. Zoomers? Baby, called, baby Zoomers. Yeah, you've never heard that? <laughs> baby Zoomers? It's a yeah, place Zoomers. they've grown up on Zoom. Uh, no, it's just, I think it's just Z, Gen Z, and then they're, you know, they have a lot of energy. It's a play on baby boomers. <laughs> um, baby boomers. I yeah. totally forgot oh, to do it, but you know, that's what Quinn's here for. That's what I'm here for. And did they, the, did they the work. appreciate the film? Have they watched it I, yet? I don't think he's watched it yet, but he did write her back and say like, I might not be the best one to ask it because he's like a, he's like kind of a cinephile. He lo- his favorite film of all time is The Lighthouse. <laughs> so, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> maybe like kind of weird, weird yeah. for a Gen Zer. Yeah, he's cool. He's cool for sure. But, but yeah, I'm still curious to see what he might think. I'm sure they'll like it. Well, yeah. speaking of movies, Justin, tell the people what movie we are talking about today. Today, we're talking about 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, written and directed by Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen, and Homer. To get back to his wife and kids, Ulysses Everett McGill will do anything. Hey, any boy, Smitty. But he's about to get off on the wrong track. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. Boys, you just stick with me. Man, we're in a tight spot. Believe me, I got a plan. And I can get my wife back and we can get out of here. Okay, I'm with you fellas. I am the man. 
them sirens loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. <laughs> you two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. Well, I usually start this with asking everybody what their relationship to this film was prior to this rewatch. Uh, I would love to start with Quinn, but Corey does have to leave pretty soon. So, Corey, I'm going to start with you. You haven't introduced me to the pod yet. Oh, by the way, as usual, <laughs> third co-host, Corey Clifford, is here <laughs> on the you, podcast. Thank you. Uh, Corey, what was a your... Co- a co-host, brother. <laughs> oh, co-host. <laughs> so, Corey, before you got to go... Yes. Let us know. What was your relationship to this Well, you guys, I'm really sad that I have to leave, but I do have two callbacks today. So hopefully I book one of those and then it won't be sad. But uh, if I don't, then it's just really heartbreaking. But um, my relationship to this film is purely based on our guest, Quinn Gasway. I remember it well. It was the year of 2000. I had just moved to Arkansas about a year before. And I started auditioning at the Arkansas Children's Theater, um, which is just it was a really great place where you could do plays as kids with like adults. And it was just awesome. It was a magical place back in the day. And I had heard rumors of this movie star named Queen Gassaway. <laughs> and I remember so vividly every play that they would have like a premiere party at the Children's Theater. And Quinn was there. And I remember somebody pointing him out to me and being like, that's the guy who's in um, the no- new George Clooney movie, like Oh Brother Art. That I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And that summer, my friend Lauren was like, oh, we should watch this movie. And I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, he's amazing everybody had a crush on Quinn he's gonna maybe deny this but everybody did everybody loved him all the girls had a crush on him me included it was like oh my god he's a movie star (laughs) so you hadn't heard of this movie outside of just the Quinn factor no well maybe I'm sure it was part of my parents but in my brain no it was literally completely based around Quinn right and it was like holy shit he fucking did it he's famous and this is the goal for all of us and then that summer I did STA Summer Theater Academy and Quinn and I became friends and I just, you know, have pretty much forced him to be my friend since. (laughs) Well, Quinn, uh, talk to us. What your relationship to this movie? uh, Where did it all begin? How did it start? Uh, Yeah, perhaps because it's it is such like a noteworthy thing. I do remember so much of it very clearly. I don't remember many other things from my life at that time, but each little mile marker of, of, of this process, I do remember pretty vividly and have like sense memories around. How old were you? I was nine years old. And it, what's pretty cool is I actually have um, my grandmother who has since passed was like a meticulous, fastidious keeper of like scrapbooks and things. Oh. So I have, I have like an entry with the date from the day that I went and auditioned for it. Holy shit. Uh, which is pretty cool. I've, I, I'm realizing now I should have grabbed that so I could see the actual date. But uh, I'm pretty sure, so the film came out in 2000, I think it was 1998. When, when it shot. When everything happened, yeah, when I auditioned for it and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff happened. So I'm pretty sure it was like, maybe like spring of 98. And I played basketball at the YMCA. I loved it. And I remember I had a basketball game this day and I remember I was awake and uh, I had just like, you know, was getting ready for basketball. I, I used the shower in my mom's bathroom. I remember, and I was drying off from the shower and my mom mm. was in there like doing her makeup or something. It's because it was a co-ed and shower. And she was <laughs> co-ed shower. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess like I'm still at that age where like 
I wasn't quite not ever being naked around my parents, but yeah, when I think back on it, I'm like, I don't know. I was an only child. You know, we had, I guess we, we had our own rules. Um, but what I remember is my mom being like, you know, doing her makeup. And my mom is, is kind of just like a scatterbrained person. And I remember her at one point just being like, Oh, Quinn, Oh, Quinn, I wanted to show you this. See if you, if you want to do this. And she ran and grabbed the newspaper, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, mm. and ran, ran back into the bathroom and was like, look at this. And like showed me that there was an uh, open casting call for uh, this Coen Brothers film that was going to be at the Hilton uh, in downtown Little uh, Rock that Arkansas day. Arkansas Republican Gazette was not, they did not advertise there. They were like, no, <laughs> no, no Republicans in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you already acting at this point or is this the first? Yes. Okay. So your mom yeah, knew you were doing, like hungry. Not for he long. was. The, I guess I didn't mention that in my thing. Quinn was like the star of the children's theater. No. There was one other boy, but you were. You were like always the lead in things. I need. What's a children's theater? The Arkansas Children's Theater. Live That's theater with kids. So, yes, but it was a professional theater for kids. It was like it, like parents the, take their yes. kids. Yes, yeah. the, ki- yeah. the productions were all kids shows. But it was like if you were an actor in Arkansas or wanted to be an actor, it was like the top of the top. But Quinn yeah. was the star. Mm, but I don't you know were. about that. Uh, maybe a maybe a star. Maybe You've never star. been in a, a movie. You've never been on film or television no. at this point. No, I had never done anything like that. I think I had done a billboard. Like I had done a, a you know, a, mm-hmm. what is it called? A still. You were a model. Uh, where they had shot me. Yeah, it was a model. I think it was like for Baptist Health or something. But mm-hmm. but no, I had never were, done. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Shout out Baptist. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, but yeah, I had done a I had done a couple of plays. I had done the theater camp a few times, and I was totally enamored with it. Like mm-hmm. one one cool thing in that. So my grandmother made me this scrapbook thing, and it's part of it is like a thing I would fill out. That's like so it's like each year what 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 I want to be when I grow up, and like kindergarten and first grade and second grade are like all kinds of interesting things: astronaut, president, doctor, surgeon, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden third grade. From third grade on, it just only is actor. It's just, it's nothing else. I became very like singularly focused. (laughs) Graduating Um, preschool, they asked everybody what they wanted to be when they grew up. You know what I said? Cowboy. Hey, (laughs) all right. right. You still got time. Did your teacher Um, tell you that's not a job? Um, so yeah, what I remember most is that my mom, wa- my mom and dad were very excited about it being a Coen Brothers film, and were mm-hmm. expecting me to also be excited about it. <laughs> which I remember being like, I don't know who that is, <laughs> and them being like, Blood Simple, and they being like, I don't know any of this. And then they were like, they were like, Well, George Clooney's supposed to be in it, and he had just been Batman, maybe that mm-hmm. year, or and so that got me very excited. And I was like, well, do I have to, I want to, I want I don't want to miss my basketball game. And I remember my mom being like, no, you don't have to miss your basketball game. We'll go to your, you'll do your game. And then we'll just, you can go to the audition after. It's right. so sweet. <laughs> Y'all please picture yeah. the cutest little tiny, tiny, tiny little boy with mm-hmm. the biggest head you've ever seen. Yeah. I was called, I was, I was called Tweety Bird all through school because I, I had his dimensions. I'm picturing Leonardo DiCaprio from Basketball Diaries, but with an inflated head about three Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a deflated butt. I'm not going to jump on this train, Quinn. I, Thank uh, you, Justin. He loves yeah. your head size. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, I've come to love it, too. Yeah, so I remember... Did your playing... body get bigger or did your head def- uh, get smaller? Uh, body bigger, <laughs> a, a little bit. I mean, it's you know, I'm not I'm not rocking a perfect aspect ratio still, but <laughs> I think I'm closer. 
<laughs> hey, Pe- most people famous people have gasp big heads. When they see me anymore. Um, <gasps> um, I wish that I could stay here and listen to this, but I have to R U N O F M T right now to my to my um callback. You've been, hold- uh, you've been holding on to that. I have been. I even looked it up. I was like, is that what? But he still said? didn't say it correctly. Yeah, R U N N O F. There it is. T. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Crushed it. Thank you. Um, I love you so much, Quinn, with all my heart and love soul. Love you. Um, maybe I'll make it back for the end. But cool. um, you boys hold it on, hold it down. We'll hold it down. Um, love you, Book cinema it. possessors. Bye. Yes. So it was uh, it was essentially the kind of thing where, and, and I guess the Coen brothers maybe have become somewhat known for this, and other filmmakers do it too. But they wanted a very authentic person for this certain for some some of the roles. They were casting right. some children. They wanted some authentic southern children. So they were doing calls in like Dallas and Little Rock and Memphis Mm -hmm. and a few other Southern cities. But it was, yeah, it was just like super open. Like you just come. And I just went to the audition in my basketball clothes. I think I put a t-shirt on, but I Uh still had my basketball shorts on and my, you know, like socks and tennis shoes. I remember at the basketball game, I got swatted in the face and scratched. Oh, wow. So I had a, I had like a bloody scratch uh, on my forehead. And I remember getting there and it was all there were a couple of kids that I knew from the children's theater were there and they were, everybody was like dressed up mm. uh, for the audition. And I was like, uh, I remember feeling really self-conscious about that and being like, I fucked up. I, yeah, I messed this <laughs> up. I look and I'm like sweaty and yeah. like I have this scratch on my head. Like, but then I remember getting the piece of paper with the lines on it mm-hmm. and getting so excited just because I it, like all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is like a little story and I'm yelling at these guys. It was the opening scene. Yeah. Uh, I still remember that it was written phonetically uh, in the script. So it said, hold it, raw chair, R A H space chair. <laughs> was that? Wow was that first line, hold it raw chair. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I remember- How long did you have get, to like r- study the lines? Do you remember? A long that? time because there were so many people there. Uh, you know, I, I, I waited two or three hours before I went in for the first time. Mm-hmm. And was everybody um, there for for Boy Hog, hog up or- There were girls there too that I'm guessing were for the Warvy Gals. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what they would have been reading, though, mm-hmm. like what their side was. So you knew but... you were there specifically for that one role. They weren't like looking at you for like a broad range of options. Uh, or I don't remember thinking about that one way or the other. I think I was just too new to all of it to to know what was going on, really. I just was like, they handed me this piece of paper and were like, this is what you'll do. And, mm-hmm. so, and I knew what a script looked like, mm-hmm. you know, from having done a play. So and no like, other oh, con- context about the movie. No, like, hey, here's the no. summary, plot summary. No. No, nothing. nothing. Yeah. And then I remember going in and the casting assistant's name was Sandy Baskin. And I remember she had like a really cool artsy look. She reminded me of one of my friend's moms and she just had, and she had like a little bit of a deep voice. And I remember her like making me feel comfortable. My mom also has a deep voice. So I like deep voiced women. So I remember her making me feel really comfortable. And I remember the first time I did it, she laughed a lot. She really liked it. But I didn't really use a Southern accent. I kind of just pronounced those phonetic words, but in mm-hmm. I've never really had much of a Southern accent. I, I don't know why exactly. I have a little bit of one, mm-hmm. but maybe because I was like doing voices so much at a young age. Yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, I didn't really have one. And I remember her being like, like liking it, but being like, are you from here? 
and me being like, yeah. And she was like, well, you don't, you don't really have much of a Southern accent. And I was like, I already kind of knew that people had mentioned that before. So I was like, yeah, I don't really. And she was like, well, can you do, can you do one? And I was like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then she had me do it again and I really laid it on, you know, super thick. Yeah. Like, leaned into the to the hillbilly people. style yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and i remember this look on her face that made me feel like i had done well because she laughed the first time then when i did it with the southern accent she didn't really laugh but she just had this look on her face she like, lit up that made me feel like i had done something right wow and so i remember feeling really good about that and she said can you stick around and i said yeah and so i ended up being there like seven and six or seven hours total as like other people were going in and leaving and she'd bring me back in and, and I'd do it again. Uh-huh. And your uh, mom is not there. You're there alone. My dad is there with mm. me, uh, but he's not going in the room with me, but he's mm-hmm. waiting out, out with me mm-hmm. outside. And I, you know, I think we're walking around. We might've gone and gotten something to eat and come back. Or, and what's mm-hmm. his vibe? Is he, is he having a good time? Is he excited? Man, both of my parents all throughout the whole process are just so, uh, they're just very chill people. I just remember him being like, it was always about me. It was always like, are you having fun? Mm-hmm. This is pretty cool. Are you liking this? You know, it was, I think he thought it was cool, but, but he was not pressuring me one way or the other. He was asking me how it was going, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. I, I just remember the main thing I remember is it always being like, if you want to do it or, you know, if you, if you're having fun, like that yeah. kind of yeah. vibe around it. That's I nice. do remember that the last time I did it, she asked my dad to come in and she was kind of talking to him about me and about my acting and stuff and what I had been doing. And I remember her telling him very emphatically, don't let an acting teacher here get a hold of them because they'll mess him up. What does that mean? I've actually heard I don't other, know. I've heard people, I've other, heard other actors say this before who started as child actors, mm-hmm. who's, who I think it was Jennifer Lawrence has like a similar story where she went to an audition and afterwards the acting casting director specifically told her parents like don't send her to any coaches because she's yeah. she's perfect as she is and they will just mess yeah. her up. I remember feeling I was actually like journaling about that memory recently because I think it's very formative for me because it did like two things that like made me feel really good about my acting because I knew that it was coming from a place where she was like really thinking I was good. Mm-hmm. But it also made me feel like this like shame about being in Arkansas and this feeling of like, oh, people in Arkansas don't know what they're doing. Because she said somebody here. That's kind of the thing that you latched onto is like, oh, I'm in the wrong place kind of deal. Yes. In hindsight, do you think, what do you think about that comment? Do you think it was inappropriate? Do you think she was right? That's a good question. I think she could have phrased it more carefully and thoughtfully Mm -hmm. to not cast quite a, such a general (laughs) tone about you know, uh, a region. Right. I think it was coming from a place of real support, really caring about me and wanting the best for me. Right. Also, I think the way that adults uh, talk around kids is sometimes messed up. Like you're not in the room, you know? Yes. Or, or like you don't understand, you know? Yes. That's exactly how it yeah. felt. Yeah. yeah. It's like she was talking to my dad about me, but I'm standing there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, the general tone of the whole experience experience up to that point had been so positive and I knew it was good because I was still there and I was just watching all these people leave mm-hmm. and it was my first experience of something like that of like being like oh they're they're leaving and I'm still here that's a good thing and by the time I went in with my dad it was only me mm-hmm. um everybody else had left so I was like well this has got to be <laughs> this yeah. got to be a good a good sign so she was um, not an Arkansas casting director she was flown no. in. no yeah. yes yeah she had been I think they had split up 
a little bit to, you know, co- cover more ground. But, Ellen Chinowith but yeah. is the name of the uh, yeah. casting director for this. Did you ever meet Ellen? Of course. Yeah, yeah. A few times. And I actually met her again like 10 years ago or eight years ago or whatever when I first moved to L.A. Oh, that's right. Um, I remember. Yeah. Was that for yeah. Hill Caesar? For Hill Caesar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so that, that was cool. And mm-hmm. I got to catch up with her a little bit. But yeah, at the callback, I, I met her. And that callback yeah. was in? That callback was in Memphis at the Peabody Memphis. Hotel. Famous for the ducks. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you know this. They walked them parade, ducks out. Par- mm-hmm. Parade of ducks. I remember the drive up there. Again, I was just wearing like shorts and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. It just still hadn't occurred to me to do anything different. I just was like, it just was like going to do a thing. Whenever I would go audition at the children's theater, I wouldn't wear special clothes. You know, I just wear mm-hmm. my clothes. Uh, so I just wore my clothes again. The, bas- the basketball there. outfit. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah that's kind of what I wore every day. Just like shorts, like comfortable shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. But I remember getting to the Peabody and there being three other boys there that all looked a lot like me, but that were all wearing overalls. Mm. And I remember being like, Again, being like, oh shit. <laughs> I should have done this. And one of them learned. one of them had a rubber shotgun. Wow. wow. I'll never forget that. I, I thought it was so cool. And he like let me look at it and stuff. And so again, I just remember being like, well, oh well, like it's fun. <laughs> like obviously these are like real actors. What like, is I, the just because n- neither of us are actors and I've always been curious about this, but like what's the feeling of being in a room and like seeing other people? who look like you doing the same thing as you. Is it easy to kind of not get in your head about it? And, or is there a part, is there a feeling of like competition? Yeah, among- it's definitely not easy to not get in your head. It is, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much better at it now than I ever have been before, but it's been a lifetime of working on it. And because it's kind of, it's, it's a lose-lose really, because you, you sit there kind of thinking negative thoughts about those people or about yourself mm-hmm. in comparison to them which just doesn't feel good ever to like sit in negativity and it doesn't help your audition to be thinking about that or, you know, feeling rattled, feeling unconfident. But I remember then I hadn't, I didn't even understand like the stakes enough to feel that really. Mm -hmm. Mostly what I remember is feeling like I messed up the wardrobe, (laughs) like feeling like I didn't wear (laughs) Didn't wear the right thing. And I had like growing up, not to get too into like this kind of stuff, but growing up, I had often had that feeling like at school of being like, oh, my clothes aren't as cool as other people's Mm -hmm. are or like aren't right. Yeah. Uh, That's a very classic little kid thing. Yeah. My parents wouldn't buy me those clothes. I wouldn't. uh, My parents would shop for shoes at Payless and Kohl's. Mm -hmm. No brand names. People were wearing, you know, no fear shirts. Always an insecurity. Abercrombie stuff. And like my parents refused to. And they Mm. were right. But. Well, and (laughs) for me, even even when I finally would be able to convince them or be bold enough to like buy a piece of wardrobe that I felt like was hip or cool, I would then immediately feel self-conscious about wearing it. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, I got to get a shady hoodie. Eminem had this like shady brand clothing Mm -hmm. line. And I like finally got one. I wore it one time to school and felt so self-conscious about the fact that I was suddenly wearing a shady hoodie that I never wore it again. Because deep down you knew you weren't posing. <laughs> yeah. You weren't being authentic. I, so yeah, that's, that's basically what I remember. I just feeling more like, oh, I wish I would have known I was supposed to wear overalls. Little did you know, that's probably what made you stand out even more oh, or I think make it, them believe that you're just being yourself. Absolutely. I'm so, I think all of these things work to my favor yeah. in hindsight. But then, yeah, I remember going into this little conference room and Joel and Ethan and Ellen. Holy uh, shit, that's crazy. We're sitting there, yeah, and uh, introduced themselves. They were very sweet. And I remember Ellen, 
she, she, cause she had seen obviously the tape and was like, uh, can you just do it exactly like you did it, uh, for Sandy? And I remember being like, absolutely. And I remember doing it and I rem- I'll never forget how hard they laughed. Uh, Joel, Joel, like Joel is like taking his glasses off and crying. And I remember just feeling so obviously so good, yeah. not, but still not quite putting together. Like this means I'll get in the movie, but mm-hmm. just. It was purely just the visceral experience of just making people laugh that hard. Yeah. And I remember they had me do it a second. They gave me maybe some kind of little adjustment. They laughed their asses off again. And then I, one thing I'll never forget is they just had me do it two more times just so they could keep laughing at it. I remember him just being like, I just remember him being like, can you just do it again? I don't want you to do anything different. It's just so funny. And me just being like, yeah, of course. You know. That's amazing. yeah, I wanted to mention this too. There's like an interesting thing. They had storyboarded everything at some time before, I don't know, in 96 or 7 or like in pre-production. And the storyboard drawing of my character just looks just like me. It's just the weirdest wow. thing. Wow. It just looks just like me. It looks, I got a caricature done around that same time at like, you know, Six Flags or something. Yeah. And it's uncanny, the caricature versus the storyboard yeah. of, of Boy Hog Wallop. Wow. And I'm sure they had been looking at that because I remember this moment with Sandy and this moment with them where they would be looking at me like almost like I was an alien. <laughs> I think it was just because I looked so much like the, this drawing. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And then I just remember them thanking me and I'll never forget one of the images I remember the most is walking out of that room and those three other boys sitting there and the looks they must have been able to hear mm-hmm. uh, the <laughs> laughter from the room because th- I'll never forget those three boys and their parents just Daring yeah. daggers through me. Oh, wow. And I remember just, just walking they out knew, and yeah. uh, on the drive back to Little Rock, my mom had a bag phone in her car. Uh, if you guys literally a phone in a bag that was like a phone in a bag that, yeah, that plugged into the cigarette later. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I remember getting a call on that. That was like, we want to put him on a veil for this. Like these are the dates we're shooting. Uh, please keep them open. And same day, same day, phone. same day on the way. home. Wow. Yeah. It was like an hour, two hours later. I think that night, or maybe it was the next night I had, uh, a party to end my basketball season. Mm hmm. Uh, at Shotgun Dance. Love it. Yep. Why is it called Shotgun Dance? I don't know. Just the place so, of the pizza place. He mur- he killed his entire family <laughs> with a shotgun. <laughs> Turned them all into yeah. pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's folksy, you know. Yeah. Um, but I remember get, getting ready to go to that party and finding, getting a call. And it's, 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 my parents still live in this house. So I, I, when I go visit them now, like I'm, I'm still in these rooms, mm-hmm. but I remember I was, at, I was in my mom's office because we had missed the call uh, and there was a message on the answering machine. And I, I just remember my mom screaming from the office, you know, Danny, my dad's name's Danny, uh, <laughs> Danny, quick, get in here, like screaming. And so we go running in and I just remember her playing the thing and it's, you know, it, I don't remember if it was Ellen or an assistant or who it was, but it was just somebody being like, you know, congratulations. We want to offer Quinn the part, you know, this and this. And I just remember just my mom and dad just like hugging and hugging me, uh-huh. and like picking, picking me up. And we just like listened to that message like five or six times. <laughs> I remember <laughs> only understanding through them how big of a deal mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. Like I had never seen them as excited as they were that night. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this actually must 
<laughs> this must really yeah. be cool. Like, yeah. And like my mom was like, well, we got to call this person and call it. Cause nobody really had cell phones at this time. Mm-hmm. So I remember then it was like, get, 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 get on the landline and call all my aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. and grandparents to tell them it had happened. And I definitely remember being at least half as excited for the pizza party as I was about, about yeah. that message and being like, well, okay, really exciting. Let's go. Cause everybody's already there. And like, that's amazing. So how long between that call and when you actually were flown out? To I shoot? think probably about two months. I think the principal shooting that I did was in uh, like fall of 98. And where did it shoot? Jackson, Mississippi, and then um, in L.A. at the Buena Vista uh, Ranch. And then January of 99, I went and recorded some ADR uh, in New York. Wow. So you traveled to Mississippi, Los Angeles, and New York for this yeah. part. Wow. Yeah, I did. That's yeah. insane. So before we get into the movie, just general, like, how did you feel when the movie was finally released and sort of embraced the way that it was? Amazing, surreal, and embarrassed. Really? Which is weird. Yeah, this is an interesting thing to talk about. Even Corey just now talking about her getting introduced to it. Mm -hmm. I remember how embarrassed I felt about it for years. Mm -hmm. Honestly, until I was like in college, I felt embarrassed because it was like a lot of attention. And and honestly, to this day, this is like a problem I have with film, like working on film, Mm -hmm. is that by the time you're sharing it with people, you're so, as an actor, you're so removed from the work you did. Mm Mm-hmm. That it's almost like it's strange. You know what I mean? It's like if somebody came and saw me in a play and then two years later, they talked to me about it. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Because it's kind of like by the time it came out, it had been almost two years. I had, I had I looked a little bit different. You know, I had just grown a little bit. I was a little bit older. And it was very much this thing of like, oh, he's so cute in the movie. And it was, so it was just always just kind of like, uh, like it just made me feel strange. And I by that time, I was doing more plays. I like wanted to people to come see the plays I was in and nobody ever came and saw them, but everybody always wanted to talk about right. Oh brother, where art thou? So it just, I remember like, I was not able to fully like enjoy it. Like I now kind of wish that I would have been able to. Um, but I remember super vividly the first time I saw it cause it got released in, I think Memphis. So me and uh, my dearly departed friend Whitman mm-hmm. and another friend of ours, Michael, who I'm still great friends with and my parents and Whitman's parents, all drove together uh, to Memphis to go see it. You just went to a normal theater screening of it. Yeah, no, just a normal theater screening. And uh, I remember just feeling really cool and embarrassed because like- uh, Even while watching it, you felt embarrassed. Yes, well, because these friends in in particular are like friends who roast you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, you know, it's cool and it's all like in good spirits, but they're just sort of, you know, they're ribbing me about how I look or being like, (laughs) your head is is even bigger. (laughs) It's like on the big screen, like things like that. And so I remember, yeah, I, I remember feeling like in general, it was always like the experiences around it were very special to me. I remember just mm-hmm. it feeling special that we had all taken this trip together to go see right. my film. The energy was like so excited and happy. Mm-hmm. The experience of actually sitting in the theater watching it, I don't remember so much. I remember the music for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember from the first time I saw it being like, this music is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. And like wanting to walking out singing all those songs. Yeah, it really transcended the movie, the, the soundtrack of this movie. It did. It was a number one soundtrack for over two years. Wow. Yeah. It was inescapable. It won <clears throat> uh, album of the year at the Grammys. Right. It beat out uh, Outkast's Stank Onya. So that says <laughs> something. Because uh, Tim Blake Nelson sang on the soundtrack, 
he made more money than George Clooney and John Turturro combined. Wow. Yeah. And he technically has a Grammy now too. Yeah. Because wow. of it. I mean, Man of Constant Sorrow would play on the radio. People would request it. I remember every car you would get into would have that CD in their car. You would go over to friends' houses and parents would have that CD in their collection. I had an art teacher who would play it in school. I just a few months ago had an experience sitting out back uh, behind, I work at a dinner theater and I was sitting out back with a couple of the busboys and one of the busboys just started singing, go to sleep, little baby, yeah. unprompted. Uh-huh. And I realized in that moment, like, oh, he doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, He's just that singing I'm in that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm about to blow his mind. <laughs> and so wow. I was like, you're saying, and, and so I did. And, and that's, the, that's what's really changed. Like for so long in my life, I would have like been mortified. Right. Right. To tell somebody. But now it's like, I know how much the film means to people mm-hmm. and how incredibly lucky I am to have gotten to be a part of it in such a sort of random way. Not that I didn't have talent or that I didn't do a good job, but. It's all, I mean, you guys know, and mm-hmm. anybody involved in this business knows how much of a perfect storm is needed for things yeah. to happen and really, really mean something. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's so yeah, cool, so man. It's so it's, grateful. It's amazing. Yeah. And I'm so thrilled that you have such vivid memories of it. Mm-hmm. I am um, big fan of Kindergarten Cop. I went and watched like a 25, 30 year reunion or something with Arnold Schwarzenegger and a bunch of the kids who are all now adults. And not one of those kids can remember a damn thing about the experience. <laughs> so, because they were just like, you know, you don't remember, th- some people don't remember their yeah. childhood. So, uh, well, let's take a quick break. Then we will come back. We'll talk through the movie. I got a thousand questions for you about the actual production shooting, uh, but we'll for do sure. it as we talk through the movie. Great. Sweet. Let's uh, take a quick break and we'll be right back to keep talking. Oh, brother, where are they? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are here with Quinn Gassaway, and we are talking, oh, brother, where art thou? Before actually we get into it, Justin, how did you watch this film? I think we might have the same copy. Yeah, is this the second time we finally yeah. match? What did you think about this DVD? Very poor quality. Yeah, kind of kind of rough. They got the aspect ratio right, but yeah. the, the compression was A little foul. Early DVD. Uh, did you like the behind the scenes? Featurettes? I did. It was yeah. short. 
I yeah. wish could have used more. Yeah, wish it was longer. I don't know if they do. They don't really do commentaries, mm-hmm. so I wasn't surprised to see that there wasn't a commentary on here. Yeah. But um, I was able to dig up tons of George Clooney interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson had one on GQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Turturro also had one on GQ. They were all on Charlie Rose together. Oh, I, w- I would have watched that. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, with with the Coen Brothers, mm-hmm. that was fun. He loved Charlie Rose. Loved the movie. Yeah, he's laughing and joking around with them. Stark contrast to when you see him interviewing Spike Lee. Right, and he's yeah. just <laughs> grilling Spike. Here he's just like eating out of their hands, yeah. just drooling over all of them. Yeah, Charlie mm-hmm. Rose kind of sucks. Yeah, even though I love the interviews themselves. Yes, Quinn, how did you watch the film? Um, you mean recently? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, did not watch it. Uh, yeah, I mean I've seen it a, a hundred times probably. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm ashamed to say I'm not really a physical media person sure. uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. I've tried to really become very light on my feet. I did for a long time have a binder full of DVDs. Oh, wow. So you took them out of the case. I Popped did. them discs into a binder. Hey, that's a, that's a style. That's a way that people did. do it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a collector of things. I've never mm-hmm. really been that in my life. I, I don't. It's just not a thing I ever, I ever really did. Right. Certainly, the last several times I've watched it has been just like in syndication, just like playing, playing on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost one I don't need to watch right, anymore. Yeah. I I know it so it's well. Burned I can, in. I can quote nearly the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this movie opens with a quote: "Oh muse, sing in me." And through me, tell the story of that man skilled in the ways of contending, a wanderer harried for years on end. And this is the actual opening lines of the Odyssey, Homer's The Odyssey, which this movie is uh, credited to be based on. Didn't start off that way. The Coen brothers claim they never even read the Odyssey. Yeah. That they sort of just like were aware of its format and its narrative approach through other adaptations, through yeah. seeing it in movies. They said they read like a comic book version of it. The only one in, in that crew who actually read it was Tim Blake Nelson. There's like a handful of very clear parallels, you know, with like John Goodman as the Cyclops and the Sirens that they run into. But it seems like in general, it is very loosely based to the point where it almost feels unnecessary to try to draw the lines to everything because it seems like even they were sort of like not super interested in yeah. We open in Depression Era, Mississippi. We're in the Jim Crow South. We open on a chain gang singing Poe Lazarus. Uh, apparently, that was a real recording of an actual chain gang singing that song and what you hear in it. And a uh, cool thing that I saw that they actually were able to hunt down like the one surviving member of that recording and they paid him $20,000 for the... I heard $700,000. Oh, you heard seven hundred? dollars Mm-hmm. Out of Clooney's mouth. Could be a Clooney. tall tale. Clooney but, could be telling tall tales. Because <laughs> um, that seems like a lot. But, but hey. I mean, that's how you make money is off of the, you know, the royalties from music. Mm-hmm. And it's true. The, this album was bangers. So maybe. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's true. You know, I've never been in a chain gang. So I don't know what it's like to like sing in a chain gang. But I have had community service mm. where me and a group of other juvenile delinquents did have to like pick up trash on the side of the road. And there was songs that were sung. But the main thing that we all talked about was Jackass the movie. 
Mm. I was kind of afraid of a lot of these kids because some of them were scary. So it was community service, not just with your group, but with a whole. Oh, yeah. With with probably 20 the, other kids. The worst kids in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Just, there was one really intimidating guy in the group named Devil Dog who <laughs> was kind of going from kid to kid, pointing things out about them and terrorizing them. And my friend who was with me was wearing an Adidas hat. And he came up to my friend, grabbed his hat turned it around and put it backwards on my friend's head and said, that's an Adidas hat, which stands for all day I dream about sex or all day I dream about sports. And if I ever see you wearing it forwards again, I'm going to kick your ass. Devil dog. What got us to connect and bond with these kids was that we had just seen Jackass the movie, but a lot of the kids hadn't seen it. So we started talking about Jackass the movie and pretty soon everybody in the group was like, tell us more. We just were <laughs> describing the scenes yeah. in the movie and everybody was cracking up and it was the thing that sort of bonded us all together as we were like doing it. So that was sort of like my version of a change. So remind us what you did to get in trouble. I Have you ever heard this, Quinn? I don't know. When I was 14... Me and my friends were like shooting a lot of movies yeah, and we were getting really into gore. We were learning how to make squibs and we were learning how to like spray blood like, you know, samurai style. But the problem was, is we either had to shoot those things outside or in the bathroom because that's where the tile floors were and the tub was so we could easily clean it up. So we were getting sort of frustrated that like all of our movies ended up landing in the bathroom. (laughs) And so we were uh, walking past this neighborhood that was being built near our neighborhood. And there was just these piles and piles and piles of two by fours Mm -hmm. just sitting there for the taken. So we got the bright idea. Let's take some of these two by fours and let's build a set in the woods. And we can shoot all of our gory movies there. We can go crazy. So we start just taking two by fours. Like we would load them up in piles and like two by two, we would carry them. And all three of you had extensive construction experience. (laughs) (laughs) We we were for sure in our minds, we knew how to like build this thing. We were just gonna basically make like a square box with a little door. And we spent two full days sneaking into this place and taking wood and the sun is going down on day two. Two of us are walking with these boards and all of a sudden this cop car just speeds up behind us. Somebody had seen us doing it and called the cops. The cops jump out of the car. They pull their guns out on us. My friend who was carrying the wood with me drops the wood and runs. And immediately he trips in like a thorn patch and falls face first on the ground. So when I see him do that, I just drop to the ground too. They come over, they cuff us. This tells you how much of a fucking kid I was. They pull me up and I had earlier in the day found an empty turtle shell on the ground. And I was like, oh, cool, turtle shell. And I'd stuffed it into my pocket. The police, I guess, thought it was a weapon. So they were like, what's in your pocket? I had this big, bulky, hard thing in my pocket. A turtle shell. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, it's a turtle shell. And so they they literally pulled the turtle shell out of my pocket and just tossed it onto the ground. They just (laughs) abandoned it. It was extremely embarrassing. A lot of tears were shed. Mm. So is your, oh brother, where art thou breaking out of community service to go get your turtle shell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which of course did get, that area did get flooded and <laughs> then at the bottom of a. <laughs> so we, um, we get introduced to our three leads. We have Ulysses Everett McGill. Ulysses is another name for uh, Odysseus, who's George Clooney, which I thought this is interesting that his name is Everett McGill. Everett McGill is an actor from Twin Peaks, The People Under the Stairs. I could not find anybody at any point talking about why his name 
is Everett McGill. They must have known that they were naming their main character after this Maybe actor. he was a friend? George Clooney agreed to do this movie, apparently, without even reading the script. And George Clooney is from Kentucky. He has family that is from the South. And apparently, he gave the script to his uncle and had his uncle read the script aloud, and he tape recorded it. And that's what George Clooney used. He said he didn't even use the script at all on set. He right. just listened to the tape recording. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a byproduct of that, he didn't realize that his uncle had deleted any word that he deemed a curse word, including words like hell and damn. And so he learned the lines without those words. And at one point in the shooting, the Coen brothers were like, why aren't you saying the lines as we wrote them? <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson plays Delmar, uh, who is sort of like the, the fool of the group. He's so funny. I think this was the movie that a lot of people really discovered, Tim Blake Nelson. And Tim Blake Nelson was actually a neighbor to Joel Cohen. They'd never worked together before. And because Tim Blake Nelson had studied classics when Joel Cohen initially gave him the script, he thought he just wanted like advice on how they adapted the, the Odyssey. Yeah. He also is a director and he had just, did, did you ever see the movie O? Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles, yeah, it's a basketball yeah. uh, movie, but it's also an adaptation of Shakespeare's Othello. Mm -hmm. He directed that film. Oh, wow. And apparently he was editing it at nights while shooting O Brother Rarkta. He would shoot in the wow. day and then he, he would go continue editing O uh, at nights. And I just, Corey and I rewatched O during the pandemic and it's a great film. It's Somebody great should adaptation. do a, a mashup of O and O Brother Work. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> such a nice fit. <laughs> and then of course, John Turturro plays the third character, main character, Pete. John Turturro is a regular staple of Coen Brothers movies. He had been in a bunch before. What a dream career. A staple of the Coen Brothers, mm -hmm. a staple of Spike Lee. Oh like, my God, yeah. I think get... Spike Lee may have discovered it. Or I think yeah. he may have broken out in Spike Lee's movie. Mm -hmm. He's your kin in the story, right? He's part, he's, he's, Technically, a, ho he's mm -hmm. a hog wallop. Yeah. 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 yeah, he's like my second cousin or something. Mm -hmm. They have a funny dialogue where uh, John Turturro says, Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. But if that ain't the consensus view, then hell, let's put her to a vote. Suits me. I'm voting for yours truly. Well, I'm voting for yours truly too. Okay, I'm with you fellas. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if you mentioned this already, but this is that whole sequence you just described, Big Rock Candy Mountain. Yes. Is, mm -hmm. is underscoring it, which I do remember the first time seeing the film, hearing that song. And I had loved this thing as a kid called We Sing. It was like these videos for kids, like little mm -hmm. musical videos. And the one I remember the most was called Big Rock Candy Mountain. And they sang oh, wow. the song and it was like about kids and animal, you know, puppet animals going mm -hmm. to the big rock candy mountain. So but you stood up in the theater and you were like, this is my shit. This is <laughs> my jam. Yes. Yeah, I do remember. I don't know if I did that, but I do. I do remember <laughs> that making me like, you know, as a kid, when you're watching things that are more made for adults, like you're looking yeah. for some way in. And I mm -hmm. just remember being like, I know this song. I know this song. Right. Yeah, uh, this movie yeah. is kind of like a musical. The there there's mm -hmm. music in all of it. And um what I think is so cool about it is that aside from Big Rock Candy Mountain and maybe one other piece of music in the movie, every time you hear music in this movie, it is uh diegetic. It's in yeah. the scene. It's somebody performing it. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of scenes that feel like it's non-diegetic, that it's coming from the film, the God universe, but then the camera will sort of pan out and somebody's playing it on a guitar there. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect musical for me. I'm probably going to get some heat for, I, I don't, uh, 
particularly love musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always kind of struggled with them. And this, uh, and even the Coen brothers don't quite define it as a musical. Right. They say it has musical structure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it strikes the perfect balance for me of what I w- would love in a straight up musical mm-hmm. with everything I love about a straight up movie. And the musical aspects of the movie serve the film and the characters and right. uh, the story. Uh, not the other way around, where I feel like often with some musicals, for me, the story takes a back seat. It's almost like the, the movie pauses so that they can mm-hmm. sing a song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, honestly, just the songs are fucking great. That's mm-hmm. a huge help yeah. when it comes to musicals, <laughs> whether you appreciate it or not. Like, if the music is great, T-Bone Burnett, he's credited as music by T-Bone Burnett. He was the one who sort of found all these musicians. All the songs in this are traditional folk songs. I don't think any song was written for the film. It's all sort of dug up from original songbooks. Quinn, you sing and play guitar now. Were you mm-hmm. musical at this point back then? I liked I liked to sing. I had not, I had a guitar that I did not know how to play mm-hmm. uh, at this time. There are many aspects to this where I'm like, uh, like the opportunity that was missed to like, you know, <laughs> know more about what was going on or like, be, you know. oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, anyway, to answer your question, not not really. I didn't, mm. you know, other than singing along with, you know, in sync. <laughs> yeah. So as they are fleeing, they do run into um, this nameless blind man who is on a railroad cart. They hitch a ride from him. And this man is sort of like a soothsayer. He's a prophet. He tells them that uh, they're seeking treasure. You have to travel a long, difficult road. You shall see things. He specifically tells them that they're going to see a cow on the roof of a cotton house. This is one of two prominent black characters in this movie. It's notable that both of them have magical powers. We'll get into it, but I do think this movie has a complicated, maybe slightly problematic relationship when it comes to the the white and black issues in the film. Couldn't because agree it, more. It puts a lot of emphasis on them, but I don't know if it exactly has anything particular to say about it. And at times, I do think it maybe uses it in a way that is would now be deemed inappropriate. Well, the all the 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 roles that they are given in the movie are tropey. Right. And none of the leading, they don't, they're not uh, giving them any leading roles that mm-hmm. are uh, subverting those tropes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I don't think there's anything malicious in the Coen brothers trying to do it. It's more so just they're, they're playing with themes. And there's a lot of, I think to the movie's credit, it show, is showcasing the sort of racial tensions of this time and this area. You definitely get it from a lot of the characters that there is racism in this world. Um, obviously there's a big clan rally scene that happens at the end of this movie. So they're not shying away from it. They're not painting a picture of the South that wasn't untrue. They're just sort of, they sort of use it for fodder and for story plot, humorous things that I think nowadays feels problematic. Yeah. Maybe even at the time felt problematic. I don't think it has to be malicious for us to talk about why Mm -hmm. it's not right. And I think a lot of these things, you know, are done unconsciously, but that's part of why we talk about it to bring right. it to our awareness so mm-hmm. that we can make better choices, more creative mm-hmm. and inclusive choices. Yeah. But yeah, the other character, not to skip ahead, but the guy who plays Tommy, mm-hmm. you know, one of the other characters you mentioned serves no point in the movie other than to just play guitar for the heroes. And then as he gets roped into their adventures in like the third act of the movie, he doesn't say a word. And I just, I keep looking to him to the movie to be like, when are they going to, Give him some dialogue. And like he has that one funny line at the end when Clooney's like, what you what you writing over there, Tommy? 
and he was like a roller desk. Roll yeah. top desk. Roll top <laughs> desk. I, I met Chris Thomas King when I went to do ADR. He was doing it right before me. Chris Thomas King is the one that plays uh, Tommy uh, Johnson. Tommy. Yeah. That's one of the two lines he was ADRing that day. I, I oh, really? Yeah. Sitting there hearing him repeatedly going, roll top desk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the probably my favorite song in the film is the one he sings around the campfire, "Hard Time Killing Floor." Mm-hmm. Uh, on the guitar, still one of my go-to guitar songs, right? Uh, to, to to play. But before we move on, I just wanted to throw in that mm-hmm. the the soothsayer it also kind of serves serves as like an oracle, which is another uh, tie to the Odyssey, right? Right, and and to many of the classics is to mm-hmm. have the that oracle character, yeah. Um, and there was all, a fairy ferryman quality as well. Yeah, yeah. Tiresias mm-hmm. is like the famous, famed, like blind oracle mm-hmm. from like from like Oedipus mm-hmm. uh, and many things. So that was yeah. What and like you were saying, like the you know, there's only a, there's only really a few things that seem direct Odyssey things. But yeah, that, that's one of them uh, to to me anyway when I think about it. And uh, the hair hair gel, the hair grease. That's yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ulysses was, was always, a, you yeah. know, greasing back his hair. <laughs> yeah. Homer was a Dapper Dan man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting, too, that this movie, the the layers of it, like it's based off of a Greek poem that is myth. You know, it's, it's like an epic. Yeah. It's based a little bit on like tall tales as well, which mm-hmm. is sort of. Uh, a more modern version of a of a Greek epic of a myth, and even folk music in general. These songs that are used in the movie are, you know, they're they're stories from the past that are being passed down. That's what like folk music is, and so there's just an overall vibe of like uh, folklore and mm-hmm. urban legend and myth within this movie, and the way that it takes real people. Like Tommy, the guitar player is based off of a real person, Babyface Nelson. They're taking real people and real places and real events and they're sort of like infusing them into this fantasy story Mm -hmm. very much in the way that like tall tales do, you know? So I think there's, it all connects in a really beautiful way that I think is one of the the highlights of the themes of this movie. So they end up going to Pete's cousin's horse farm and the first person they encounter is little boy Hogwallop played by Quinn Gassaway. What does he say? Queen? Hold it right chair. You men from the bike? Hold it right chair. You men from the bike? You wash his bar? Yes, sir. Daddy told me I'm to shoot who's ever from the bank. Well, we ain't from the bank, young feller. Yes, sir. I'm also supposed to shoot folks serving papers. We ain't got no papers, neither. I nicked the census, man. Now there's a good boy. Is, is your daddy about... I have a question for you. You're familiar with IMDb, right? Of course. Are you familiar with IMFDB? No. <laughs> this is the Internet Movie Firearm Database, and you huh. got a you got a nice little section in there. Quinn okay. Gassaway can be seen using the following weapons in the following film: M1903 Springfield, which is the yep. gun you're holding. Yeah, from it's actually not a, not a shotgun. Um, rifle. Most people think think it is. Yeah, it's a rifle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bolt action, yeah, rifle. And when you sh- were filming the sequence, did you actually get to fire it or was it mimed? Like what what was do you remember that? Uh I did fire it. It did not have blanks in it. It had uh it had what are called dummies in it, so they're mm-hmm. slightly different than a blank. They don't do it wasn't really what was what they wanted was the action of me 
Uh-huh. They wanted that to look real, but then they used, you know, squibs in the dust. And then I think right. the sound. I noticed when you first shoot the gun, it really rocks you. Like you do a good, like you kind of rock to the side as you, as it fires. Was that something that you just mimed? It wasn't actually recoiling for that. Yeah. I mean, I'd been, I'd been in the trenches for that for years, you know, I mean, I've been having <laughs> fake, yeah. fake yeah. gunfights, you know? So I, yeah, I was selling it. It did not have too much real kick it's awesome i mean that was one of my favorite parts of the whole experience was getting to shoot that gun like that was what you were locked in on as a kid yeah yeah oh absolutely it was just so cool to like really have a gun you know because i loved you know playing cops and robbers with friends and all that stuff did uh where where was this shot this particular this was in mississippi this was mississippi yeah did you have a child stand-in actor uh no i actually had an adult an adult woman it was my stand-in and my stunt double. What? Was uh, she the same height as you? She was, yeah. Oh, okay. She's just tiny, tiny woman. Oh, was she like the one who drove the car through yes. the... Oh, cool, cool. She was the driver. That's really cool. So Frank Collison plays your dad. He plays mm-hmm. Walsh Hogwallop. Um, yep. He's a great actor. He has such mm-hmm. a unique face and voice. What was... Do you have any memories of, of working around him? Yeah, he was very, I remember he was very, very sweet. Uh, We stayed in the same hotel and like very professional. Like I I remember learning a lot about how to be like a professional actor on that set. Like I remember Mm -hmm. watching closely at how they would vacillate between like being relaxed, being serious when there was, when it was appropriate to have little conversations when it Mm -hmm. wasn't. Yeah, I remember taking a lot of cues from him from that of just like taking his cue about like when to go grab something from Crafty. I remember, oh, wow. Yeah. Because I remember noticing that early on, but not knowing if it was appropriate for me to yeah. go. Because, you know, I'm a 10 year old kid. So it's like the greatest thing on earth. This yeah. like, table full of snacks. But yeah. How were great. all the other actors with you? Did, what, did, was everybody very warm to you? Was there anybody that was? Yeah. That you didn't no, really nobody, connect with? Uh, Tim was probably the least, the one I connected with the least. Mm-hmm. There was no coldness from him. It just felt like. I don't know if he had kids of his own at that time or not, or does, mm-hmm. but it didn't, it just kind of felt like he was doing his job and, and I was there and he was friendly and nice. Like when I would engage in mm-hmm. George loved joking with me. I remember right after I got the haircut, which is oh, a, yeah. kind of an iconic haircut in the film is my head is buzzed except for a sprig yeah. right in the front that they leave, which is how they drew it in the storyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's perfect for me because I have so many cowlicks. So that, that sprig was like f- really flipping weird because I have so many cowlicks. And I remember I met all three of them right after I got that haircut. And I remember, I remember George saying, um, so it uh, looks like they gave you a summer do there, huh? And, and I was like, yep. And he was like, some are better than others. I'll never forget that he said that. And it, I mean, it killed everybody. Everybody loved it. Uh, yeah. And then John was definitely the one I connected with the most because he has a son named Amadeo who is about two years younger than me. Amadeo so, Totoro? Amadeo Totoro. He, he's in uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Amadeo is. He plays oh. the young, young version of Luke Wilson. Oh, uh, that's the cool. Tennis, the tennis player. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, so John knew how to talk to me, basically. Right. Because he had a he had a son Mm -hmm. so he and he just wanted to and stuff but yeah i ended up going to disneyland with john and amadeo and my parents what uh, while you were shooting cool while we were shooting yeah wow off day yeah so was this Um, when you were shooting in california in california that's amazing you spent a whole day with john turturro at disney day at disneyland yeah 
Man, what a awesome. cool guy for doing that too. For like, I know, you know yeah, just, he was the best. He took care of me. He like made he just you know what I mean. It's just there's just a difference when you've when you have a kid who's around that age. He just yeah. knew to check mm-hmm. in with me. Like you need to go pee. Like just you know, and, and and I think he could feel also that I like was nervous and like mm-hmm. wanting to do a good job, and so he like was making sure that I was like getting what I needed. Yeah, knowing that I might not know that I could ask for it and things like that. Yeah, I foreclosed on cousin Vester. He hanged himself a year come May. And Uncle Red lived? The anthrax took most of his cows. The rest don't milk. He lost the boy to mumps. Where's Coral, Cousin Walt? Couldn't say. Mrs. Hogwallop up in R-U-N-N-O-F-T. She must have been looking for answers. Possibly. Good riddance as far as I'm concerned. I do miss her cooking, though. This stew's awful good. I think so. I slaughtered this horse last Tuesday. I'm afraid she's starting to turn. This dinner table scene where everybody, you're sitting at the table mm-hmm. with all all four of these guys. I have to say your fork acting is incredible in it. Thank you. <laughs> There's these wide shots of you and you're using both utensils with both hands, very much in a way of like a kid who is trying to use them, but has never really been taught how to use them. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. <laughs> and you're just shoveling this food into your mouth. What was that like being at this table with all, all these great actors? It was amazing. Uh, the first thing I remember is how absolutely floored I was when I walked into that set because I had never been in a on in like a set on a set like this before because it was like in a soundstage. Okay. That scene, so it was like you, I walked into this huge building, and then in the center of this giant cavernous space was like this room. Yeah, I just remember being like, "This is so, the coolest thing I've ever seen." I had never eaten off of like a tin plate before, and that and that mm. like. That was interesting to me, but having done some acting camp and stuff, I, I knew that being a good supporting actor meant like living, living in the world like, yeah. as fully as I could. I remember really liking the food. Oh, and is it, really was it like roast it. beef or something? Yeah, it was like a beef stew. Yeah, it does look good. Uh, I'll say they, you know, there's a joke that, you know, butchered this horse last Tuesday. Well, things that's, start to turn. that's the thing I remember the most and is one of the like formative moments for me as an actor. But yeah, so I remember eat, really eating and they were all spitting it out. And I remember thinking that was first of all, gross. And mm-hmm. also uh, why? Like it, it, it tastes good. I remember just being like, I don't know why they're spitting it out. I'm really going to eat it. I ended up being very sick that night. Uh, <laughs> maybe because it had been sitting out for a while. I, I don't think they assumed we were really going to be eating it. So they yeah. may not have handled it exactly right. Or something. Wow. And I ate. I can't believe nobody told you. I can't believe nobody said. They you. did. They were telling me to spit it out and or they were mentioning it, but it was like so much was going on. They were just like, are you really, because I kept having to put, you know, really add more to my plate because I was eating. So when much. you know what this reminds me of. Yeah. I when, do. when we shot a thing with you <laughs> yeah. where you, we had your character drinking moonshine that yeah. we made out of. Soy sauce. Mostly soy sauce. Yeah. And you spent an entire film shoot yeah. literally drinking it take yeah. after take after take. Uh-huh. Didn't you have to like go to the hospital? Because- I didn't go to the ho- I didn't have to go to the hospital. I I thought I was gonna have to, but no, I <laughs> my dad like talked me through it. I ate a banana and drank a bunch of water and it finally Because decided, you consumed having- so much salt. Yeah, I was so dehydrated that my body was like seizing, basically. Like my I was having such intense muscle spasms, I couldn't get out of bed. 
I thought I thought I was dying. Yeah, <laughs> it's a running theme all throughout my career is that I accidentally commit too hard and yeah. end up hurting hurting myself in some way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I remember that the moment I think of the most that like I go back to as a moment where I was so sure that this is what I want to do forever was that moment you were just talking about of I slaughtered this horse last Tuesday. I was afraid she was starting to turn because Tim Blake Nelson has the greatest reaction ever to that, which is he just slows down chewing. That's <laughs> yeah. all he does. Yeah. And we had to shoot that. I, I'm going to say conservatively like 40 times mm -hmm. because nobody could hold it together ever it just was the funniest <laughs> fucking thing and then once everybody else started holding it together then tim couldn't hold it together anymore mm -hmm. like then as he would he would laugh and spit you know spit <laughs> what i love so much about that line is like is he reacting that way to the fact that he's eating horse or is it <laughs> right? because he's starting to realize that it's not it is starting to turn <laughs> yeah. or is it both yeah yeah <laughs> it was also he like, loves I feel it, like right? leading up to it he agrees that it tastes good yeah. Well, he's the one who brings it up. The stew is awful good. Yeah. yeah. It's horse meat and it's starting to turn. And it's starting to turn. <laughs> yeah. And the way, the way Frank Carlson like eyeballs it on his Looks fork at, at that yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. It was understanding in that moment, first of all, like this is going to be hilarious in the movie mm -hmm. and how excited Joel and Ethan were getting about that moment and like wanting to get coverage on it from all these different angles and just the delirium of all of these men crying, laughing uh -huh. at something so small that nobody knew was going to be. So it's funny. not written in the script that 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 happens that way. It doesn't yeah, yeah. say Delmar chews slowly. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. happened that way. And it was so funny. Yeah. Uh, that's great to hear yeah, too just, because the Coen yeah. brothers have such in their interviews and stuff they're a little they're not cold but they're like they're very controlled mm -hmm. so to hear that they're on set being so reactive and laughing at stuff is really endearing to hear that like they yeah. they vocalize when they really like something yes and they even did it in your audition too like that's it's they did, great. Yeah. yeah i this is this is one of the most memorable sequences in the movie it's so funny so they end up spending the night and while they're staying in the barn the the police catch them this is where we get introduced to the devil sheriff uh this is kind of a cool character that pops up in a lot of coen brothers stuff he's got this mystical quality to him it reminds me a lot of like the lone biker in raising arizona who seems to be like coming from a dream and he's always hunting them um it's a little bit like anton chigurh like they always put a character in a lot of their movies that has this sort of otherworldly quality and they're usually sort of a demented, dangerous force that is following the protagonist. He's shot in a way in which he's always got these dark goggles on and there's always flames reflected in the goggles because he, he brings fire everywhere he goes and he has this dog with mm -hmm. him. I do feel like it's a little underwhelming for me in this movie. Yeah, it doesn't quite have the payoff of something like the Lone Biker or the or yeah. Anton Chigurh. You compare him to a, a an antagonist like John Goodman, even mm -hmm. within this movie, and John Goodman is way more right uh, unsettling to me than mm -hmm. just a more a better fleshed out character. Whereas this sheriff, demon sheriff, is. Uh, just feels a little more cartoony to me. Yeah. Interestingly, mm -hmm. you bring up the pomade. He tracks them through. George Clooney's Dapper Dan pomade. That's kind of how he ends up finding them later on in the movie, which is also the same way that the lone biker in Raising Arizona finds HIs. He tracks John Goodman uh, and William Forsythe's character based on their pomade that they leave behind. So there's these little connections between the mm -hmm. Coen brothers movies. They set the barn on fire. Damn, we're in a tight spot. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, little Quinn comes speeding in in a, in a car. 
I never noticed before that uh, Tim Blake Nelson grabs a pig yep. and brings it into the car. Mm-hmm. You speed him out, and then they end up abandoning you on the side of the road, and you and the pig go walking off into the distance. Uh, the two things I remember about the pig, I remember first that during one of the takes, it headbutted Tim Blake Nelson in the in the mouth hard mm-hmm. in the car, and like drew blood and like mm-hmm. uh, knocked him. So I remember that being like. A deal, and the pig being very scared of the room because we shot that was what we shot in at the Buena Vista Ranch, and it was so cool because all of that fire, and maybe they added some, but I don't think they did. Like I think it's all practical. Doesn't look yeah. digital to me. That's why it's and like it, I, I think there's there's no good way to shoot to ethically shoot an animal on set. Maybe yeah. a dog because at the very least you're scaring them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's terrifying. It certainly scared the shit out of the pig because mm-hmm. the way they would do it. They had this like fully fireproofed barn mm-hmm. uh, where the walls had these like thin, what essentially are like a gas fireplace, like these mm-hmm. thin tubes. So they could literally just flip a switch and the barn's on fire. And I just remember that being the coolest thing I'd ever seen, but it even scaring me a bit. And I remember feeling that the pig was scared because it would be yeah, calm yeah. until they flip all the fire on and then it sure. would start. Losing its mind. Yeah, it doesn't know what a fucking movie set is. No, it thinks it's about to burn exactly. in hell. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I did feel <laughs> he saw there. what happened to other pigs turning oh, into yeah, bacon. Yeah. He's like, this is my time. The, the, yeah. When your car crashes through, I'm like, it's, you know. It the, looks like you. It looks like you. It's crazy. But that's it's, the stunt double. That's the lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wish I could wow. remember It looks name, amazing. But I don't. But she was mm-hmm. sweet and she, you know, introduced herself and stuff and. I got to say, I got to be honest, I think I'm not just saying this because you're our friend, Quinn. But I think the Coen brothers' biggest mistake they ever made was n- was not having that character continue in the car with them into the like the next few scenes. Oh, I really remember I like I think before even knowing you being like, oh, we're it so obviously feels like we're going to see this kid now accompany them on an adventure and just to see this little kid you know, uh, with this group of criminals, a lot of potential for for fun stuff. Do you do you remember feeling like, dang, I w- why didn't they write more of this character in, or was was that n- never something that crossed your mind? It didn't cross my mind. I, I I um I think just acting in general was so amazing to me at that time that whatever I got of it was magic. Like I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there could be more. Like I didn't, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I started being like, hang on, I should be the lead or I should have more lines or I should have more to do. Or, uh, I just was like, so excited to get to do anything. Like I just wanted one more. I wanted Hogwallop to return. Like, like you got the, the ferryman the uh, the oracle coming back you got babyface coming mm-hmm. back what you're expressing justin is a, a a common critique of the movie especially back then i think the movie was overall uh appreciated by critics but the people's issues with the movie was that it was too episodic that like characters came and went stories came and went that it didn't feel cohesive because it was like a bunch of very impactful and interesting scenes and characters that were all just sort of like tossed in and thrown away. I don't necessarily agree. And the Coen brothers spoke about it in the the special features that this is a, a picaresque. The story is, is in the picaresque style, which is a style of storytelling that is episodic. And it's usually following either one character or a group of characters that are typically sort of scoundrels that have like a lesson to learn as they sort of 
road trip style maneuver through a story and interact with different characters that come and go very briefly. But the, you know, your your grievance is valid, and a lot of people feel that. Yeah, John um, Goodman comes back. Well, it's just like a lot. That's why I guess a lot of I, them have payoffs. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with the people critiquing it for being episodic because it it does feel like a lot of scenes have payoff to mm -hmm. me. You know, yeah. this is the last you'll see of uh, Big Dan. You know, and then of course you know you're going to see him yeah. again. Uh, same with Babyface. So I don't know. Yeah, bo Boy Hogwallop doesn't necessarily have. He's a little bit of a loose end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's a little bit of a loose. Maybe maybe it begs a spinoff. Hey, maybe Apple Plus. You listening? We need a series about boy hog wallop. Uh, yeah. Um, um, I wanted to throw one more little story about the pig. Please, please. Uh, so the scene where the pig is following me, I had a pocket full of like popsicle sticks that had hot dog, like a little slice of a hot dog mm -hmm. stuck onto the end of it. And then and I- Wait, oh, for the pig. For the pig. Gotcha. Uh, and I had a clicker in my hand uh, <laughs> that I would- I was hungry, Jack. Uh, I was no. like, man, you uh, must have really. No. That question yeah. and and did you go to Disneyland when you were in shooting in oh, California? No, he went to Disneyland. John Turturro flew them from Mississippi to, to Disneyland. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm clicking. I have this little clicker and the pig is trained to follow the clicker. But then John Turturro throws a rock, uh, like a rock, like a uh -huh. dirt. It was, I think, yeah, throws something at me and it, it kept startling the pig when he would throw the thing. And so then I would be clicking it. And I think even the take that they use in the film, the pig starts to not follow me mm -hmm. and then follows me. Because every time it would get hit with the dirt, it would get spooked and try to go run to the trainer. So as we were like going on and trying to get this and, and get it just right, the pig was getting like more and more agitated and it started biting me. Oh. Not hard. But like, like on your ankles? Yes, like on my ankles and the backs of my legs. And you had those heels on. And I had those heels on, so it was already kind of hard to walk. And I remember being, by the end of it, being very afraid of the pig. Like oh. wanting the pig to be gone, being like, it's biting me. <laughs> I, can feel that it's, I can feel that it's kind of upset. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and the trainer was having me feed it the hot dog thing so it would mm -hmm. follow me, you know, and like... But I just remember like not even wanting to do that and like yanking my hand away and, you know, just like being real skittish of it. Yeah. Uh, do you think the uh, hot dog juice was dripping down your legs to your Could have been. Could have been. Now, hang on. <laughs> A pig was being fed hot dogs? Yeah. That feels I mean, like maybe cannibalism. There were, maybe there were beef. All beef? I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and that's the end of Quinn in the in the film. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, gone but not forgotten. He's, his, your, your spirit remains in the rest of the movie. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's worth pointing out that Roger Deakins shot this film. He had shot a number of Coen Brothers movies before this. And the notable thing about this movie is that this was the first American Hollywood movie to be fully color corrected digitally. Do you have any memories of Deakins? <sighs> um... I remember just thinking he was super cool looking. Mm. Like if Mick Jagger was a cinematographer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember I just remember having a feeling, which I still to this day have often on a film set, which is like he's doing his job. Mm. Often was like sitting in a cool like seat uh, that was you know, next to the camera. Up, uh, up and behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that it just seemed like he was laser focused on what he was doing. He I don't I don't recall him ever speaking directly to me. I think it would always go through Joel. Yeah, I remember Joel mostly being the person who interacted with me on set, who gave me adjustments, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Yeah. Uh, they meet Tommy on the road. They pick him up. 
He tells him that he has sold his soul to the devil to to learn how to play guitar. And they pick him up at, at the crossroads. At, mm-hmm. a, at a crossroads. At a crossroads, so yes. Very much an homage to that whole mm-hmm. thing. Also look like the same crossroads in Castaway at the end of the movie when Tom it Hanks does. goes. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, the FedEx. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and before this, before that happens, actually, they end up get, encountering like a, a church group that is on the way to a baptism. And Delmar kind of gets sucked into it and gets himself baptized, which basically kind of sets the tone for you have Everett on one end of the spectrum that is very Mm anti-spiritual. And then you now have Delmar on the other side of the spectrum that is saved and has now devoted his life to being a, a, he's on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. And then you have Pete kind of in the middle between the two. Pete's an interesting character because Pete is, he's much more like the surrogate for human beings in general, because he's constantly being pulled between. He's fearful. He's very fearful, and he's kind of the whipping post. He's the, he's the character that everything happens to. Yeah. He's the one who gets caught by the sheriff. He's the one who gets seduced by the sirens. He's the one who gets you know almost hanged and mm-hmm. has to sell out his friends. It's an interesting dynamic between these three and what they represent. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though George Clooney is technically like the main character, he's rarely ever without these other two guys. And so to me, it's sort of all three of them embodying one main character with these different qualities is sort of push and pull. And I think the big juice of the movie is the movie is trying to convince George Clooney's character that like, right, there is something to believe in. There is some sort of spiritual nature to this, but he's very resistant to it until really the very end when he's sort of forced to confront it or believe it. Mm-hmm. But even then, you don't necessarily know if he does. Yeah. Um, I have two, two quotes I really like from that that portion of the movie that I just say all the time, which is uh-huh. dumber dumber than a bag of hammers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and get in, boys, the water's fine. All my sins are washed away. <laughs> washed away. Uh, it's so fucking great. And, if, and you know what? That's our connection to Sling Blade because there's a very similar mm-hmm. baptism sequence in Sling Blade that also takes place in a river. Mm-hmm. Sling Blade pushes aside a bunch of people to cut in line <laughs> get baptized first. Um... <laughs> And it's noticeable, too, that after Delmar gets baptized, then Pete wants to get baptized. So he's very, like, susceptible to influence. So they end up finding out from Tommy Johnson that they can go and and make some money by recording a song at this radio station. Great, great, great Stephen Root performance here. Oh, my God. How does he do that with his eyes? It's incredible. So he plays this blind radio DJ who is offering money for songs. And, yeah, I have to assume that what he's doing with his eyes is is him doing it. I don't think it's contact lenses. I think he's just twisting his eyes in different directions. He's a freak, man. He's the best. It's funny that he's played another blind character in a movie. In Get Out, he plays a blind Mm -hmm. uh, character. His dialect is so cool that it's almost like you can't even understand a word he's saying. So fucking funny. And yeah, the things- That was some mighty fun picking in a (laughs) scene. So it's so, yeah, singing. He's such a great actor. This is also the first time in the movie that they start to play with race a little bit here because they realize Mm -hmm. that he's blind and they tell him that they are black. Why? What's the point of that? I don't exactly understand what, I mean, my assumption in the world is that George Clooney assumes that they would want if they're paying money for music, that it would be more enticing that they were black musicians because black music was growing in popularity, but it ends up backfiring. He doesn't want it because he finds out that they're black. I think the movie is trying to do a thing where it's like these three white men are sort of experiencing what it's like to be a black man in Jim Crow South. They all nearly get lynched. They're constantly hunted by the law. Chased by the Ku Klux Klan. Later on in the movie, they, there's like, 
blackface stuff in it where they yeah. they put mud on their skin to hide in the dark and they end up getting mistaken for black people mm-hmm. again i think i don't know if the movie has enough to say about it to justify trying to do it and you can you could pull some of that stuff out and still have the same movie and still deal with the racist yeah. issues in the movie or the the racism within this story that i think is works and uh, uh yeah, it's confusing a little bit. I'm sure they have purpose and intention. It's just kind of hard to crack exactly what it's supposed to be saying. Yeah, it just doesn't work hard enough to do that. Yeah. And the, the blackface thing was surprising also in how, how, not that there ever can be a payoff for mm-hmm. that, but just, wow, you tried this, shouldn't have done it, and it didn't serve any It doesn't, function. yeah. What does it serve is like the only real thing that it serves is that there's a funny line that comes from it where the the grand wizard says the color guards are colored that's like yeah. it you know but otherwise they could have the same dramatic dynamics could have happened yeah well scene. the key is in the end when they're confronted by um homer homer stokes homer stokes yeah yeah um all he has to do to to make him to antagonize himself is is shout at them and say you yeah. know because they, they interrupted they ruined the they thing, ruined yeah. the thing. But the, he thinks that they're black pretending to be white at the yeah. end of the movie. He could have yeah. still damned himself exactly in a variety of ways in that right. scene. Did, you yeah, know? you look at how sort of unnecessary it was to do it, balanced with the fact of like it's kind of touchy to do at the time. It was considered less touchy. I don't think people had as much of a problem with it at the time, no. but that doesn't mean it's not worth critiquing now. It's, it's for sure. A, and I, I got a feeling they wouldn't do it now. Oh, I don't think so. I, it, it reminds me in a way of did you guys see the menu? Yes, yes, unfortunately. So it's not it's not exactly the same, but yeah. So I feel like they're making, you know, if you're going to include a certain amount of like offensive behavior, there's like a line where you're just making something offensive. Mm-hmm. Where like with the menu, it's like it's a movie about pretentiousness, but right. it's, it ends up just being a very pretentious film. Like, <laughs> 100%. So it's like, well, I That's guess you best. did it. I guess that's the it. best review I heard of the movie. Yeah, that, right. Like that. And so I feel like it's maybe sort of like that, where mm. they were trying to explore some of the thoughtlessness around race at that time, but it ended right. up coming out like they ended up doing that. Like, in yeah, their it just comes off it. as a, it's 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 fodder for humor, really, is yes. what it feels like, and that doesn't feel like the appropriate way to use it. You feel it feels like it's it's heavy enough. You need to have more meaning with it. One one payoff I feel like is there is right at that moment where Pappy realizes that the crowd is on the side of the band. And so he mm-hmm. sort of like he sort of bandwagons on to accept oh, yeah. them. He clearly says opportunity not, knocks. Yes. But clearly <laughs> not because he's uh, more open minded no. racially. But, no, no. But I do no. feel like that's an important way that Absolutely. pays off in, in, in a sense. But. Because in this sequence, you get introduced to Pappy O'Daniel, who again right. was a real person, but they've spun mm-hmm. him into a different type of person. But the first thing you see is that he's an asshole. Like he's mm-hmm. he chews them out. He's not mm-hmm. necessarily a good guy. He's just the better, he's the lesser of two evils between Homer, who is very much like a Trump. He's very, he's yes. he's a showman. He has all these sort of like ex- exploitative ways of getting people. He's got the broom, he's got the little person, he's got the slogans and the music. But it's all ultimately revealed that he's part of the secret clan society. Mm-hmm. So yeah, by the end of the movie, and I we should get to that ending because I think that's where all this stuff kind of becomes interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. But let's talk real quickly about Man of Constant Sorrow because that's the banger hit of the movie. Mm-hmm.
place where I was born and raised. The place where he was born and raised. They call themselves the Soggy Bottom Boys. The song is fucking great. Mm -hmm. It's not George Clooney's voice. It's being sung by Dan Tominski. Alison Krause's guitar player, I think. Mm -hmm. He has a funny story that like before the premiere, he told his wife like, hey, when you watch the movie, you're going to see George Clooney's face, but it's going to be my voice coming out of him. And she goes, Dan, that's my fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I don't. I don't have this corroborated, but the story around that time was that that George had wanted to really sing it and had even uh, like worked on it and gotten a, a singing coach. And then apparently like. 10 seconds into the first time he was actually singing it, like for the Coen brothers, he just like stopped himself and was like, you know what? It's not going to work. Like, <laughs> basically like did it for them. It's just like, you yeah. know what? I can't, I'm not good enough. Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah. Also wanted to ask you guys, have y'all ever heard of Cletus T. Judd? Never. No. Cletus T. Judd is basically the weird owl of country music. He's okay. a country music parody artist. And I just wanted to share with you a song that I found called uh, Man of Constant Borrow. I kind of enjoyed that. I was not expecting the like uh, hip hop. Yes, <laughs> that's when I heard it, it. I thought I must include this. Do you think <laughs> is, is he worth... talking about borrowing like bar that how he borrows from music to create parodies or? Oh, that's, no. that's I think you found a deeper meaning though a little bit. I think he's talking about just like the style of person that just <laughs> you, borrows things and never returns them. You have given so much it. credit. <laughs> given. Way too much credit to Cletus. He also had a few other hits. Uh, Remember Toby Keith's song, I Love This Bar? Mm -hmm. Well, he did one called, I Love NASCAR. Wow, Cletus. Real good. Yeah, Yeah, look up Cletus T. Judd. He's pretty funny. Um, That reminds me of the scene after the uh, they leave Hogwallops, Mm -hmm. where it reveals that George Clooney stole, what did he steal from your dad? Oh, the the pocket watch? Uh, The pocket watch. and. John Turturro gets so mad at him yeah. and he was, he was like, but he turned on us. He was like, but you didn't know that at the time. Well, like, then well, I, I borrowed it till <laughs> I did know it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just hit a few checkpoints on the way towards the end. Uh, when they run into Babyface Nelson, I thought it was interesting that Michael Bataluco, he is also the guy who played the son of Sam Killer in mm-hmm. Summer of Sam, which only happened a year before this movie. So he's playing two real life criminals in a row both memorable, both in which he kills an animal because he kills a dog in Summer of Sam. He kills a cow in this. Interesting thing about the cow, the scene where the cow gets run over by the car was so convincing, apparently, that the Humane Society demanded proof that an animal was not harmed and they had to prove that it was a digital cow. They had to put a disclaimer at the end of the movie. And you can see that exact cow who gets hit by the car in another movie. Me, myself, and Irene. No. Mm. Came out before this. Crocodile movie. 
Lake Placid, anyone? Mm, love uh, it. Betty White feeds a cow to the crocodile in that film. And if you go back and watch it, same color, same effects company. It's the same guy. Nice. Wow. So funny when when he confronts the old woman in the bank. She has the most amazing face. She's just as- This is just why you come to Cohen she's Brothers. She's just as God made and, and he's just, he's getting so upset. He's like, I'm not baby face. And then his, you watch his face slowly turn into a baby as yeah. he sulks out. So brilliant. Who said that? That basically is what kills him, you know, like he he's he's done for after that. The another notable scene as they're traveling along, they hear uh, voices singing in the woods. Go to sleep, you little baby. Go to sleep. How to do, ladies? Name of Pete. Go to sleep, you little baby. Everybody's gone in the cotton and the corn. Didn't leave nobody but the baby. You gonna introduce us, Pete? I don't know their names. I've seen them first. This is a direct reference to the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. There was a Maxim magazine that did a whole story on those women, and they did like a photo shoot for Maxim, the Sirens. And do, do you want to know what the headline was? Homer erotic. Uh, that's uh, yeah. that's actually good. <laughs> that's, okay. that's real good. Did you guys ever have a Maxim magazine subscription? Never had a subscription. I looked at them in the store often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, ne- I never had one either. Oh, sure. Sounds very, I believe you that you did. <laughs> Maxim Magazine, to their credit, they were able to get a lot of celebrities. I remember there was a Coyote Ugly one. Mm. Beyonce was on one for um, Austin Powers. Wow. They end up getting seduced by the sirens. They all fall asleep. And when they wake up, Pete is gone. His clothes are there. They think they left his heart because <laughs> there's a lump in the shirt. And it ends up being a frog. Delmar is convinced that they've turned him into a toad. Real frog. No CG. That's such a great moment when they just, just the way they reveal his clothes, mm-hmm. which are mm-hmm. which are laid in the shape of a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, so funny. <laughs> they end up meeting John Goodman, who plays Big Dan, who has one eye, and he basically represents the Cyclops. Uh-huh. He's a traveling Bible salesman who is a total huckster. He hears the money, the sound of the money. I think he smells it. Mm. Because later on in the movie, mm-hmm. he smells them. He smells them, and I wonder yeah. if that's you know I, I read the Odyssey in high school, but I don't remember all the details of what the Cyclops. But my assumption is that the Cyclops probably can sniff shit out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think that that's what they're trying to do is that he can smell all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he ends up taking them out in the middle of nowhere, eating a bunch of food with them, and then beating the shit out of all of they, them. They, they sit under a tree, he just <laughs> breaks a limb off the <laughs> yeah. tree they're sitting under and beats their ass with it. Now, the trade is not a complicated one. There are but two things to learn. One, being where to find a wholesaler. The word of God in bulk is a word. Two, how to recognize your customer. Who are you dealing with? It's an exercise in psychology, so to speak. And it is that which I propose to give you a lesson in right now. Well, I like to think I'm a pretty astute observer of the human scene too, Big Dan. No doubt, brother. I figured as much back at the restaurant. That's why I invited y'all out here for this advanced tutorial. What's going on, Big Dan? It's all about the money, boys! That's it! (laughs) Don't! I'm good, Big Dan. I love it. Yeah, so, he has big um, Robert De Niro and Cape Fear energy in this yes. scene because of the way he's talking. You know, he's like, "I'm going to give y'all a lesson in psychology." Yeah, John Goodman has BDE, big, yeah, absolutely, 
Just big dick energy or big... Big Dan energy. Big Dan energy, okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is another way the movie is sort of taking religion and showing how it can be used by people who clearly don't believe it. It's as if Everett, the schemer, the liar, decided to embrace religion aesthetically in order to get more people on his side, you know? Mm -hmm. I also love how Delmar is the one who's like, as dumb as he is, he's catching on and he's fighting back and George Clooney is being the dumb one in this situation. Yeah, just watching... I yeah. love that his mouth is just filled with corn too. So when he gets when he hits him <laughs> over the thing, it looks like he's spitting his teeth out, but he's just spitting out all the kernels of corn. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they end up making it to town. They find out that uh, George Clooney's ex-wife Holly Hunter has basically found a new boo. She's told all the children that he's been hit by a train. I was thinking of that too when you were talking about folklore and like uh, stories. I think that's that's a moment that's like super important because it's so upsetting to. Uh, Everett that she has like written this false history for him mm-hmm. that he was hit by yeah. this train. He's like, <laughs> like she's uh, like a lot of great people have been hit by trains, you know. Yeah. Like it's not a bad history to have to live up to. Right. Those three girls are sisters, S- mm. singing sisters. Marvy Gales. Sheriff Cooley ends up catching Pete. We find out he's not a toad. Classic scene in the movie theater. Do not yeah. seek <laughs> the treasure. <laughs> it reminds me of a time I went and saw Independence Day. With my parents, they both went up and went to the bathroom at the same time. And while they were in the bathroom, I thought to myself, it'd be real scary if all the lights went out right now. And it, then it fucking happened. Like this, this, the movie broke and all the lights went out. And it was a packed theater. Oh. I felt It felt so weirdly like I had caused it by thinking the thought of it. Mm-hmm. You did. And it was opening weekend of Independence Day. And so the theater got mad. And I remember people rushing out of the theater going like, what's going on? Turn the movie back on. I would be more wondering what my parents were up to in the bathroom. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they went the, together they turned, to the bathroom. They went yeah. together. Yeah, they went mm-hmm. together to the bathroom. They left saw me left sit there you, all alone. Bill <laughs> Pullman got them going. <laughs> when he gave that speech, they were so like, I think I need a pull, man. They went and got hot and heavy in the projection booth and accidentally yeah. like yeah. flip the switch. Mm-hmm. Your dad saw that laser beam coming out of the... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Earth. It's like, I'm about to turn you into the White House. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so when they rescue Pete, Pete's apologizing. I'm so sorry I had to turn you guys in. They know about the treasure. It's an ambush. And this leads George Clooney to reveal that there never was any treasure, that he lied to them because he just wants to get his wife back and he needed help. And then Pete reveals that he only had two weeks left of his sentence. And so he's furious. You know, they're going to add on 50 years to my sentence because of this. So by the time I get out, I'll be 84. Delmar goes, well, I'll only be 82. Wow. One of the greatest moments. Uh, They end up getting into a huge fight and they roll into this clan rally that is taking place. At this point, they've already spread mud all over themselves to hide in the darkness. They see that in the clan rally, they have Tommy Johnson and they're going to lynch him. They're going to hang him there. So they decide to sneak in. Very temple of temple of doom yeah. kind of moment. Mm. It reminds mm-hmm. me too. I think this is the most blatant Wizard of Oz reference because the clan members are basically going oh we oh mm-hmm. yo which is what the what are they called? Like the monkeys? The monkeys or the monkeys? Yeah, the like monkeys? Well, well no it's not the, it, Oh it's not the, them you're right it's, it's they're the called like the minchies or so. yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah it's another. It's very similar and they end up doing that in the Wizard of Oz too the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow end up getting yeah. the wardrobes of mm-hmm. these guys mm-hmm. and sneaking in with them. I think this scene is actually genuinely haunting I mean mm-hmm. anytime you see Ku Klux Klan in a movie, it, but the singing yeah. adds an element. Oh my to god! Unreal. Yeah, I mean the Grand Wizard's voice is unreal. It sounds amazing. Oh, dead. 
just buy me over till another year. It's chilling. It is chilling. chilling. They get caught by John Goodman because Big Dan is also in the rally. And then it reveals that the Grand Wizard is Homer Stokes. He thinks they're black because they're wearing mud on their faces. They uh, end up throwing the Confederate flag to distract them and they go, don't let the flag touch the ground. And then they clip the wires on the big burning cross and, and drop it on the crowd, which lands on Big Dan. They end up making it back to town where uh, Homer Stokes is having like a campaign rally slash concert and they sneak in with fake beards. Holly Hunter is there. Her husband is, I think, a, a constituent of Homer Stokes. He's a he's a fellow uh, a fellow Arkansan. That that actor it was yeah, Vernon his, T. Waltrip. Yes, he's in Mud. Yeah, uh, he plays a lot of good hillbilly characters. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor. Um, and they end up performing a show for the crowd and revealing to themselves to be the Soggy Bottom Boys, which at this point they are a huge hit. Homer Stokes recognizes them as the guys who fucked up the Klan rally. He That's, tries to stop it. It's such a fun reveal too, especially getting Holly Hunter, who's been dogging him the whole time. Yep. And now finally turning around and realizing her husband is the yeah. smash hit you could argue as a female as far as female characters goes it's not giving her a lot of credit like, <laughs> i'll take any man that is bona fide um right. but that's the character and, and mm-hmm. this is the kind of story where they're kind of using stereotypes to tell things yeah well the ring for her, better or for worse the fuss she makes about the ring yeah was really irritating exactly we kind of talked about it already he tries to stop the music which ends up making everybody turn on homer stokes they end up booting him out they literally like drag him out on a big a wooden plank. This, I couldn't think of it. Mm -hmm. That, what the Coen brothers do with the sound and the audio in this moment where the guys are marching forward, all sound cuts out and you hear I feel like I've seen that before in another Coen brothers movie. Oh, what is it? Can you think of it? I don't know. Oh, I see. You don't know. I was like, oh, I've seen this. It's like in Barton Fink or something like that. Where Hmm. that moment happens. It almost feels like something that would happen in in No Country for Old Men too, Mm -hmm. where it's like, somebody's sneaking up on somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I liked it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good fun. sound design. So they, he, uh, he ends up winning back Holly Hunter, but she says, I will not remarry you unless you get the ring that you promised me, which is back home. It's where they were intending to go anyways for the treasure that doesn't exist. So they end up making it back to um, Everett's family home cabin. And did you notice, Justin, something about this cabin? Evil dead cabin? It's the fucking evil dead cabin. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool. Joel Cohen was the assistant editor on the original Evil Dead. So this was a little tip of the hat to that film and to his buddy Sam Raimi that the the cabin is an exact replica of the Evil Dead cabin. Wow. Um, And I did not know that when Corey and I watched the film and I said, hang on. And I paused it and I rewound it and I literally flipped out. I was like, (laughs) that's the fucking Evil Dead cabin. Immediately jumped on my phone and verified that that is what it was. Great. They get uh, ambushed by Sheriff Cooley and his men and they're about to be lynched when finally Everett decides to drop on his knees and ask God for help. He finally gives in to his spirituality. And of course, divine intervention happens. The valley is flooded. Mm -hmm. It saves them. You could also say this is kind of like his baptism, you know, Mm because Delmar baptized himself, Pete baptized himself, and now Clooney has been baptized. But of course, right when they pop out of the water, Delmar's going, it's divine intervention and kind of like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Everett's like, that ain't divine intervention. We all knew the valley was getting flooded. They're bringing power lines into this place. It's science, actually, is what saved us. There's a perfectly scientific explanation for what just happened. That ain't the tune you were singing back there at the gallus. 
Well, any human being will cast about in a moment of stress. No, the fact is they're flooding this valley so they can hydroelectric up the whole darn state. Yes, sir, south is gonna change. Everything's gonna be put on electricity and run on a paying basis. Out with the old spiritual mumble jumbo, the superstitions and the backward ways. We're gonna see a brave new world where they run everybody a wire and hook us all up to a grid. Yes, sir, a veritable age of reason, like the one they had in France. Not a moment too soon. But then he sees what the blind prophet foretold, the cow on the cotton house. Not a moment too soon. He doesn't specifically say anything, but you can see in his face that he has to sort of consider maybe there is something miraculous going mm-hmm. on here. And then right after that, Tommy pops up and he's on the roll top desk and that's where the ring is. He brings the ring back to Holly Hunter, only to discover it is not the right ring. It is an incorrect ring. And, uh, you know, the the story will continue on. Mm-hmm. Fade to black and white. The, all the color goes back out again. You see the blind prophet on the railroad. Mm-hmm. Great pullout shot. It's a beautiful ending. And um, the movie is done. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back with our final thoughts on Oh Brother, Where Are Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possess, and we are giving our final thoughts on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Quinn, I'm going to start with you. As somebody who is in the film, has part of this film's legacy, how do you feel about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou today? How do you feel about your involvement in it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I just am so grateful, and I understand now, the older I get, the more I understand how incredibly lucky I was to get this experience when I did. For so many reasons, the biggest one probably being that it just absolutely validated what I had already decided I wanted to do with my life mm-hmm. and made it where I never really had to question if I was good enough again. And I, and I, I still use this as an example when I'm having moments of doubt where it's like, no, like mm-hmm. these people, these, these brothers who are widely considered like some of the greatest American filmmakers uh, that, that we've had uh, saw something in me and gave me this chance. And, and uh this is some, a fun thing to relate, but they were referring to me on set, which I only found this out later when my dad read a, a, a book about the making of the film mm-hmm. that they had been calling me their secret weapon wow. in the days, the days like leading up to shooting that, that scene. Cause they were so excited about having me uh, be a mm-hmm. part of it. So yeah, it just did so much. I'm a very insecure person by nature. So having this thing that really happened that helps me remember that, that uh that i do you know that i can do this and that i i have some kind of intangible thing that they saw is really special i think the film is great it's hilarious i quote it all the time 
not because I'm in it, but just because it's so funny and so much. It's fun an to extremely quote. quotable movie. I love the songs. Uh, it's really a gem. Uh, it does have warts, of course, but mm. it's difficult to find old things that don't. Yeah. So I love it in, in spite of those. And yeah, I went through a long period of my life where I very much resisted ever talking about it or acknowledging it. I didn't want people to know uh, about it. And I'm happy to say that I have come a full 180 on that and I'm very excited about it. I will, I will gladly talk about it and, uh, and lead with that. And, um, yeah, I love it. I mean, it, I think you should be proud of the film and yeah, I agree. I think it's a great movie. I love it. I return to it often warts and all. Yeah. I think we can, we can love a movie and still be able to acknowledge yeah. its shortcomings, especially in the way times have changed and the way things have evolved. What What's so impressive about the Coen brothers is like they make movies fast, like from mm -hmm. like 1984 with Blood Simple all the way to 2000 when they made this movie, they made a movie every two years, sometimes two movies in two years. And all of those movies are really good. And some of those movies are great. And a few of them are like all timers. And so I don't really get the vibe that they even mull over their scripts that long. I think mm -hmm. they just have stories within them that they put on paper and they go make the movie. And there's bound to be little flaws and things here and there. But the, the fact that all of those movies are top notch in a way that makes people come back to them and return to them and that some of them are bona fide masterpieces, it's uh, these guys are some of the greatest filmmakers we have today. So I plan on upgrading mine because I do think the quality of this DVD is lacking and I would love to have it on Blu-ray just like I would love to have all their filmography on Blu-ray. So that's mm. what I'm going to do with my DVD. Justin? I echo all your sentiments. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I wouldn't even say it's in my top five. I think the movie has a handful of warts. I think the comedy is it works for me a good portion of the film. But other times I, I find the screwball nature of it like a little off-putting to be honest and uh, it took me a while to warm up to George Clooney I thought he was the weakest link to me in the first act of the movie and I was surprised that he grew on me but I'm gonna keep the DVD I'm probably not gonna upgrade but it's a it's definitely a, a 7 out of 10 for me sure well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou and Corey has returned from her callback what do you say we play the Soggy Bottom Quiz. The Soggy Bottom Quiz. The Soggy Bottom Quiz. You can pull that microphone up to your face. Oh. <laughs> All right. Soggy Bottom Quiz. You will understand the premise of this quiz with each passing question. Question number one. Nicholas Cage has his bottom sogged by a young boy with a squirt gun in this late 80s screwball comedy. Corey Valley Girls? Wrong. Bottoms. I'll give you a hint. Same directors. Uh, Quinn, Raising Arizona. Uh, Quinn, points for Quinn. I was going to guess that. I was off seems... by late, late 80s. Yeah. Too. 1987. Um, wow. Remember your birthday party? Yeah. I dressed up as H.I. McDonough oh, on your 1987 yeah. theme birthday party. It just party. does right. not feel like an 80s movie. It doesn't to me either. Have the... Yeah. Okay. Question number two. Bill Paxton socks his bottoms after pretending to be a spy in this action movie classic. Corey Twister? <laughs> but not a bad guess. Now think of action movies with Bill Paxton in which he might potentially sog his bottoms. <laughs> well, he kind of sogged his bottoms in Titanic, but... I'll give you a hint. Same director. 
Oh, uh, is he in Terminator? He is, but he's not Terminator. He doesn't sock his bottoms, <laughs> in, unfortunately. <laughs> wow, James Cameron really liked Bill Paxton. He sure did. He used him in a handful of movies. Who knew? And I'll give you another hint. Same lead actor. Leo? Lead actor is what you just said. Okay, Justin, true lines. That's correct. Oh, okay. Wait, who's the same lead? What a spy oh, piece Schwarzenegger. Terminator, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Titanic. Sogs his bottom. Yeah, so all of these questions are about sogging your mm-hmm. bottoms. <laughs> Question number three. So that's point one point for Justin, one point for Quinn. Corey, you got to catch it up. Okay, we know the theme of these games. I lose. Question number I w- three. I would just like to say also that I am on the same team as Justin and Corey. Yes. Oh, thank you, Quinn. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I so love this. Three people. Three against up. one. All <laughs> Adam Sandler makes sogging bottoms cool in this classic comedy. Uh, when Billy Madison. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me, Miles Davis. You're correct. <laughs> Quinn has two points. So, question number. So f- Quinn, Justin, and I have question yeah. number four. Mel Gibson. <laughs> makes an important discovery after his little son sogs his bottoms in this 90s thriller. Ooh, I know this movie. Because <laughs> oh. he sees him in the street and he pisses his pants because it's the guy who kidnapped him. It's a oh, guy. Uh, Justin Qu- Ransom. Oh. Justin gets the point. Mm-hmm. Two points for Justin, two points for Quinn. I laid you up though, right? Like, Corey, but that's do it later. part of exactly, being on a team. Exactly. There's, no, yeah. there's no bulls without Jordan, Rodman, yeah. Pippen. Yeah. Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Question number five. <laughs> oh, I actually really want to be Steve Kerr. Question number five. Billy Bob Thornton sogs his bottoms in front of a group of children in this holiday comedy. Justin got Santa. Justin got it first. <laughs> well, that's lossless because. Yeah, that's lost. true. There could be lag. We don't know. And, but and, ultimately, it doesn't matter because we're on the same yeah. <laughs> So Justin has three, Quinn has two, Corey is a hard zero. Okay, so, you do not need to say that. I gave Justin the just a five rock, five rock points for Team Hogwallop. <laughs> Question number six. This 70s horror classic features an iconic scene where the Justin devil, the Exorcist. Wow, that is correct. Nice. The devil sogs a bottom <laughs> in front of a group of partiers. <laughs> Wow. She wasn't the devil yet. The devil made her do it. Yeah, The but... devil sogged her bottoms. It's the... And you know what? He sogs her bottoms multiple times in that film in different ways. <laughs> the grammar of this is just delightful. <laughs> Sog is a verb and bottoms. <laughs> so Justin has four. Quinn has two. Final question. And in order to make this fair for old Corey here, this question old is Corey. worth 10 <laughs> This question is worth 10 points. Wow. Wow. Bradley Cooper sogs his bottoms during a televised Corey, award show. Star is born. Corey yes. wins. Nice. Corey wins the soggy bottom quiz. Win, Justin, and Corey win. That was, the soggy yeah. bottom quiz. The soggy bottom quiz. Well, before I wrap it out, anything anybody wants to say before I wrap it up? Quinn, thank you so much for joining us in this of episode. Of course. Thanks for this having me. This is such me. a special episode. I can't wait to share it with people. So much great information. Such a cool insight you have on this movie that we've never had before. You're our very first guest, and we couldn't have asked for a better guest. Oh, thank you. I was so much fun. I'm such a fan of the pod and of all of you. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a delight. Quinn, is there any anything you want people to oh, yeah, check plug. out? Oh, yeah, plug. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, if you're in the uh, 
<laughs> if you're in the the south, uh, if you're in Arkansas over the summer, I'm going to be doing a touring production of the complete works of William Shakespeare Bridge. Hell yeah, oh, he's going to kill uh, it. It's so well made for him. We're also going to be touring rural New York uh, in July. So if you're if you're a New York farmer, we might be performing in your barn. Ooh, and it's my natural setting performing in barns. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, ever since this film. Uh, no, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already, you're already listening to the, the thing I would most want to plug. So, uh, thanks yeah. again. Of course. Yeah. If you can go check him out. He's amazing. He's bona fide. <laughs> well, that my friends is the show. Follow us on social media at cinema possessed pod, where we announce next week movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinema at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinema possessed pod and unlock the cinema possessed bonus materials. Our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon only giveaways and community message boards. Hey, don't forget to rate review and subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get these things. And Justin, what movie are we talking next week? Next week, we're watching 1989's indie erotic drama, Sex, Lies, and Video Cassettes, directed by Steven Sodenheimer. <laughs> Can't wait. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Thanks, y'all. Remember to keep on the sunny side. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Of the street? Keep on the sunny side. Oh, or you wanted to mention that you, that you had a special connection to the song, You Are My Sunshine. Oh, yeah. I, well, that's just song so sweet because my mom, who's our number one listener, she used to sing that song to me and my brother all the time, and it gave me a little tear in my eye. Yeah. Uh, also, I will um, I will send you a bunch of these pictures and stuff. Please. Uh, oh, and let me know what that book was that your dad read because I would love to just read the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll ask him for sure. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We love you, and uh, stay possessed. Ciao. Bye. 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 Bye.